0: From WNYU 89.1 FM, this is Dirty Money. Dirty Money is a podcast about how money and capitalism influence our bodies, sex, and relationships. I'm your host, Liam McBain. This is episode five, Marriage. Marriage. In different cultural contexts, generations, gender, and class dynamics, it's amazing that just one word can describe millions of, or even billions of arrangements. But there's one thing that's clear. Young people don't really want it anymore. Or at least we want it less. According to Pew, 60% of American millennials have never been married. The silent generation at the same age had a never-married rate of only 17%. I think all of us married people, unmarried people, all of us have an interest in this because married people with kids aren't joining Antifa and smashing store windows and calling for 95% tax rates and burning things down. They're just not. A country with a lot of unmarried young people is a volatile country. So why don't our policymakers take this seriously? That was a clip from Tucker Carlson on Fox News about the decline in marriage, especially among millennials. I think it's telling that his conservative concern over lower marriage rates laughably turns straight into concern over socialism and Antifa. Of course, it's all about young people doing things differently than the way things have always been done. But it's not actually that ridiculous to tie money to marriage. It always had economic implications.
1: Well, the economics of the early marriage is what we know about band level societies where foraging is really important. Meat is, when you get meat, uh, it's too much to, to, for one single family to eat. And sometimes you don't get meat. So the simplest way, and we've done this by economic calculations, to survive in those kinds of situations is by sharing and reciprocity. And so marriage was a way of extending reciprocity behind the immediate band.
0: That's Stephanie Kuntz, director of research on the Council of Contemporary Families and author of several books on marriage. From what we know, and from what she studied, hunter-gatherer marriage was mostly about sharing
1: way of saying, okay, we have this connection and you can hunt in our areas or you can get uh, obsidian from this area to make arrowheads with or whatever. So it was a way of expanding your uh, friendly connections with people. And for thousands of years, we, you know, 95% of human existence was uh, spent in these egalitarian, dispersed, uh, mobile, band-level societies. And we think that marriage played that role of circulating resources in most cases.
0: But once the agricultural revolution started, that dynamic went out the window.
1: And that began to change, though, when societies began to get more status differentiation and class differentiation. Once I become, for example, part of the ruling Top 10%, then I certainly don't want my kid to marry anyone below the top 10%, and I'd much rather that he married somebody in the top 5% of the other group. And that's when marriage becomes a center of intrigue and in a way of accumulating and hoarding resources in families and denying them to others.
0: It's a bit more like what it is today. But there's one key economic component to modern Western marriages that's actually a pretty new phenomenon. Love.
1: We know that romantic love has always existed in history, but it hasn't always been attached to marriage. Uh, As a matter of fact, for thousands of years, love was considered a pretty dangerous, if not, or at least frivolous, uh, reason to get married. So young people have often dreamed of being able to marry for love. Uh, Parents have often encouraged people to fall in love after they marry, but really it was not until the 17th century that people began to take seriously the idea that the older generation and the state should not dictate to the young. And when you get especially the French and American revolutions with the idea that people had a right to pursue happiness, the idea that, yes, you ought to marry for love. And, of course, it became more possible economically as the old household system of production broke down. People could go work for wages so they could defy their parents. They said, I don't have to wait till you give me a piece of the land or until you give me a dowry If the daughter. You can go out and then you can choose your own mate. And as we got political institutions and banks, it became less necessary to marry for the old reasons of economics. That doesn't mean that economics went out of marriage, especially in the 18th and 19th century, as women became even more dependent on men for their livelihood.
0: Right. So basically, capitalism allowed marriage for love to happen?
1: Yes, exactly. But it also created a division of labor between men and women, where, at least in its early days, this has changed remarkably in the last 40 years, where be formally, all families had been co-provider families. But with as work moved out of the home and a cash economy developed, but you didn't yet have the kind of market economy that could provide finished goods and services, this division of labor grew up between men going out and earning the money, doing the politics, and women staying at home. And instead of being recognized as as important producers, the way they were through most of history, they became the people who were the nurturers and the people who, who provided love and who um, translated uh, things that were brought home by the man into things that the that the family could use. Men and women were now seen as so different, men as the provider, the protector, the rational, no longer somebody who was involved in um, raising the family or organizing social life, Uh, and the woman was no longer seen as somebody who could wring a chicken's neck. (laughs) And uh, actually, medieval women were considered more sexually voracious and adventurous than men. Now they were seen as sexually pure and different. So you got this theory of opposites, and the only way you could have access to the the resources and the emotions of the opposite sex was to get married. Turns out this wasn't a very good way to organize marriage because men and women just were kind of strangers and in the early 20th century you got a new idea, on uh, the idea of companionship and sexuality and that was, that it was heterosexuality and sexual attraction that was the thing that would keep these opposites together but in both versions of the love match there was still the sense that men were in charge, that women were different. Uh, Right up until the 1970s, you had laws, head and master laws, that gave the man more responsibility and more uh, power in the household. Uh, A man had the duty to support his family, but the wife had the duty to provide services, including sex, around the home, which is why right up until the 1970s the definition of uh, rape was forcible intercourse with someone other than your wife. So in the, it's only in the last 40 or 50 years that we have started to think that men and women should organize their marriages not on the basis of their differences, but on the basis of their similarities, and that love has less to do with gender stereotypes and specialization than it has to do with the sharing of interests and mutual respect and activities. This is a whole new ball game. Nobody's ever tried this before in all the thousands of years of different marriage arrangements. So we're all struggling with it.
0: And that's why there are so many different definitions and ideas about what marriage is or what it should be. Marriage is the Wild West now. For example, queer people can be married. It's kind of weird to think that's only been legal for four years.
1: Once you say you don't have to have children if you're married... And if you can't have children, you can use assisted reproduction, and you don't have to have these rigid roles in marriage, then obviously all of the old arguments for keeping it between heterosexuals begin to break down. And one of the great things about having same-sex marriage is now we have more models for how to do marriage.
0: But if marriage can be whatever we want it to be now, with less expectations and restrictions, why are less people doing it? Well it comes back to economics.
1: Well, here's where you have a new economic question coming in. For affluent, educated people who have access to decent jobs, the equal earnings are a real boom to marriage, and they lead to more egalitarianism within marriage. Unfortunately, at the very same time, we've had a loss of stability of jobs, of of traditional working-class jobs, particularly for men, And as dual earners have become increasingly necessary, and we have raised our expectations of fairness and intimacy in marriage, it's better than people of the past would ever have dared to dream. But at that very time, the kind of increasing inequality and insecurity in our society means that... People are very hesitant to embark on marriage if they can't reach the economic bar, if they don't have the stability, if they're not sure that the other person is free of debt or can hold down a job and will hold down a job and will be responsible. So we're seeing an increasing gap between the marriage prospects and the stability prospects of people who have higher education and better access to jobs and those who do not. Some people say, well, they because they accumulate more wealth, that's the route out of poverty. That's the route to success is to get married.
0: That's what Tucker Carlson thought.
1: But it's actually much more complex than that because you don't get married unless you already have a head start because people have seen that when you get married without the economic bar, a conflict, a hostility, divorce is much more likely, and a divorce that happens afterwards can leave a man and a woman both worse off than if they had never married in the first place. So you've got sort of this cycle where if you have educational and earnings prospects, it's more possible to get married, it's more possible to keep the marriage going, and the result is that you get even more earnings prospects in education and wealth. The point is that that at this point, Increasingly, marriage, as Frank Furstenberg puts it, is a luxury good in America.
0: <laughs> <laughs> marriage has become way less straightforward than it used to be. It's kind of a legal contract, but it doesn't have to be. It's kind of a religious thing, but it also doesn't have to be that either. It doesn't have to be monogamous, it doesn't have to be straight, and it definitely doesn't have to last forever. Basically, it's whatever. But it's mostly only accessible to those that have economic stability. You know what? Maybe the decline of marriage will lead to socialism. Everyone can have stability and get gay married. Doesn't sound too bad. Thanks for tuning in to Dirty Money from WNYU 89.1 FM. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or tune in next week from 7.15 to 7.30 to hear episode 5, Give Your Money to Women. This episode was written, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Leah McBain. Music in this episode is by Poor You and Kevin McLeod. I'd like to give special thanks to Kelly Drake, Anna Van Dyne, and Stephanie Koontz. Thanks for listening.